you open up to uh, Hebrews chapter 3? We're going to be starting in verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the days of trial uh, in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief uh, in departing uh, from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it, um, while it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Uh, for who, having heard, uh, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Uh, was it not with those who sinned? Uh, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. I, I, uh, all right, I guess we'll pray until Jackie gets back. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I do just ask that uh, you would just uh, open up our hearts, Father, to... Uh, your word, Father, and I pray that um, your, your word says that uh, your mercies are new every morning, Father. I pray that we would grab hold of those mercies, Father, that we would uh, not be deceived by sin and that uh, as uh, you stretch out your hand every morning to a backslidden world and a backslidden nation, Father, and certainly uh, to us, Lord, you've, uh, you've spanned the gap. And uh, Lord, I just ask that, um, uh, that you would help us take hold of your hand, that you would help us and guide us through, help uh, open our eyes to the truth of the things that uh, you have, Lord. And, and I do just thank you that your mercies are new every day. And every day I have an opportunity uh, to be made right with you, Lord, to, to lay my sins at your feet, to wash my garments in the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. And, and Lord, uh, we just praise you and we, we thank you. And, uh, and truly we uh, stand in awe at the work that you did. So we just uh, lift your name up this morning. Uh, be with Jackie as he gives us his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Does that make you nervous? Oh, man. Well, this morning, as we take a look at Hebrews, we have uh, a word from the past and a word for the present. A section that we, that we read this morning would have been familiar to every Hebrew ear. In fact, Psalm 95, which is where that's taken from, uh, I think around verse 7 to 11, um, is how they would open up every single service in a synagogue. Forever. They would open it up by saying, God speaking, don't harden your heart. God speaking, don't harden your heart. Because they would open up the word of God as they would begin to lay these things out. So it would have been very familiar to those who heard. In, in verse 7 it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, 
Kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? We're quoting, quoting from Psalm 95, so apparently God didn't have a problem with, uh, with the authorship of the book of Psalms, did he? Who did he say wrote it? Holy Spirit. Where'd the rest of the Bible come from? Same place, right? The Bible says that the Word of God was God-breathed, inspired God. Men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That we have this letter. In fact, Hebrews began with that, didn't it? God in times past has spoken to us through the prophets as in these last days spoken to us by His Son. It all comes the same way. It came through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, <coughs> as the Holy Spirit says, today. When? Today. today. Not tomorrow? What about yesterday? No. What's he worried about? Today. Can we do anything about yesterday? No. Last I checked, I don't got a reset button. I can't undo nothing I did. And worrying about tomorrow, how, how does that help you guys? How do you sleep when you're worried about tomorrow? You sleep well? Oh, like a baby? Yeah. He says today. God's speaking today. Today, through the Holy Spirit. Today, if you will hear His voice. Remember, we've been talking about the idea that most people want to hear from the Lord. The problem is, you know, what we we often find people do... Paul would say that in the last days, men were going to look around for people who would scratch the itch in their ear. You guys know what that means? That means they look for a message they want to hear. And there's a test in the heart of ministers whether to teach what's going to, to cause people to like you and to grow and to establish things or to teach what God's word says they're not always the same thing all you got to do is spend a little time reading the bible you guys heard of Jeremiah right Jeremiah spent his whole life bleeding for people who hated his guts not one time did anybody ever say good job Jeremiah in his entire ministry in fact the enemies of God the Babylonians the enemies of the of the children of Israel they knew that, that all the while all those wars and battles were going on, Jeremiah was telling the children of Israel, put the weapons down. God said, just go. and You don't have to die here. You don't have to die here. But you do have to go into captivity. That was God's will and plan for the people. But they didn't like that message. They didn't like that message, so they wouldn't listen. So Nebuchadnezzar told Jeremiah, dude, you've had it rough. I'll build you a mansion in Babylon. Just retire, dude. You've done enough. It's in there. You read it. You know what Jeremiah said? No. God told me to stay with his people. So he stayed with the rebellious children of Israel, and they never listened to him. And he died the same day they did in Egypt. After he told them, don't go. If you go to Egypt, we're all going to die. But he still went. Because he said, that's my... Ministry. Ministry. Today, if you will hear his voice. But in order to hear God's voice, you've got to be willing to accept that this is what God said. 
And the honest truth, guys, that most people in the church across the land could really care less about what God says. I can tell that by how we live. Choices we make, things we do. We got the concept of forgiveness down, but we, we're not hearing what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say here in chapter 3. Today, if you will hear his voice. If you want to hear what it is that God is saying, he goes on. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. <clears throat> in the day of trial in the wilderness, where the fathers tested and tried me. And saw my works 40 years. He uses an example from the past. An example that started so good. You guys all know those stories about people who start good? Yeah? What's more important than a good start? Ah, good finish. Ah, It doesn't do you a lot of good to be up 21 points in the third quarter if you're going to give up 28. Right? Not a good finish. Maybe a good start. Not a good finish. Let me give you a little rehearsal of the history of this time, the people he's talking about here in Hebrews. <clears throat> in the long history of this earth, no migration of any people began so well. As with such great expectations, it's Israel's exodus from Egypt. At midnight, on that unforgettable night, as all of Israel was snug and secure in their homes, with a pleasing aroma of roast lamb hanging protectively over them, the destroyer struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, (coughs) both man and beast. And a mournful wail rose from every Egyptian house. was the end of 430 years of bondage. So stubborn Pharaoh summoned Moses, commanded Israel to leave, and even asked for a blessing. So as dawn broke, 600,000 men on foot, plus women and children, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.5 million souls, with all their livestock, began an orderly exodus out of Egypt. It was a proud departure, each tribe flying their banners as they left Egypt. Ephraim was particularly noticeable Ephraim was triumphantly bearing the ossuary of Joseph, the bone box, to, be, to go and bury in the promised land, fulfilling his dying wish. Israel left unexpectedly rich as well, because as they left, the Egyptians were throwing money at them to get them to go. Anything they asked for, the Egyptians gave. Then the most stupendous thing happened as they entered the wilderness. An immense pillar of cloud formed in the sky before them to lead the way. At sunset, it became a pillar of fire. So every night, Israel was lighted by a swirling orange glow. What a spectacle that must have been. The backdrop of the desert sky, full of stars. Then, of course, there was that ill-fated... Pursuit by Pharaoh. He had Israel trapped against the sea between a rock and a hard place. But that pillar moved protectively between the children of Israel and the Egyptian armies. Providing light to the Israelites and darkness to the Egyptians. 
Moses stretched forth his hand, and an east wind began to howl, driving a dry path through the sea for the people of Israel as they followed the pillar to safety. Pharaoh's army followed and would have caught them, but God made their chariots swerve out of control. The armies realized too late that God was fighting for Israel. Moses again stretched forth his hand, and the sea engulfed the armies of Pharaoh. God was with them. The song of Moses springs forth in spontaneous praise at the end. Aaron's sister Miriam took her tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her, dancing, singing, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Wild exaltation grips the people. What a great beginning. Full of hope. What incredible dreams they must have had being set free from bondage. Soon they would be in the promised land. They'd lay Joseph's bones to rest. (coughs) And they would finally find rest. It began so well, but it ended so poor. 600,000 men left. Only two made it into the promised land. Started so good. So full of promise. The people are excited. They're stoked. They're celebrating. They're, they're dancing. There's this mob mentality. And in that mob mentality, there was a mob faith. A mob faith don't save. Personal faith does. And when the time of testing comes, think of the story Jesus told in Matthew. He said, everyone who does these words of mine is like a man who built his house, where? On a rock. And what happened to that house? Storm came, right? It blew. There's a tempest. There's winds. There's rain. But that house stood because it's on the rock. He said, a man who does not abide my word. He's like a man who built his house where? On the sand. Did he get a storm too? So, so in life, both believer and unbeliever, there will be storm. Why? Because God wants to show you your faith. And we want to know, have I built my house on the sand? Or have I built my house on the rock? In Psalm 95, verse 7, this section that they read at synagogue when they began, says, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Is that a true statement for you? Just think about it. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture. That means he owns it all. His pasture. Not mine. It's his farm, not mine. It's his business, not mine. I'm the sheep of his pasture. This world belongs to him. And we are the sheep of his hand. So, today, if you will, 
hear his voice. Do you want to hear what God's saying? The sad truth, guys, is that most people who need it won't hear it. Because they have allowed the second part to take place. <coughs> it says today, if you will hear the, the voice, do not harden your hearts. As in rebellion, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work for 40 years. And I was grieved with that generation. So I said, it is a people who always go astray in their heart. They do not know my way. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It's all Psalm 95. They shall not. The Holy Spirit lays out for us. So what does he tell us to do? He says, don't harden your heart. What's the example? It's the children of Israel during the rebellion and the testing. (coughs) Those two words in the Hebrew happen in the beginning of the journey and at the end of the journey. At the beginning of the journey and at the end of the journey. Same exact thing occurs. Same exact thing twice. Caps it. Ends it. Forty years they wander. They have all these things going on around them. But there comes a time, there comes a time when, when their faith is tested the storm blows and the ones built on the sand the ones built on the sand move from unbelief to contempt they move from contempt to negativity negativity leads to grumbling grumbling to quarreling finally to disobedience they find themselves in a bad place The context of it all is first at Rephidim. At Rephidim, they complain. They don't have any water. Well, is God even with us? That's what they say. Now, when they say that, is God even with us? There's the pillar. There's the cloud and the fire. There's the manna they ate that morning. There's all the things during the wilderness journey, especially that first year. And this is occurring in that very first year. Is God even with us? Why? What, what happened? What happened is their little world got turned upside down for, for a little bit of time. And they're ready to pitch it. Pitch God. Throw that out. You know how many times in 20 years of ministry I've heard, you know, I tried this Christian thing and it's getting hard. If it's going to be this hard, you know, I, I would have not ever done it. You don't want to hear the next statement I make. If that's how you feel, you ain't really done it yet. You ain't done it. What did they do? They began to complain. So God told Moses, Moses, go strike that rock. So what did Moses do? He walked over and struck the rock. What happened? Water came out. You understand the picture, right? We, we just celebrated the Lord's Supper where Jesus was broken. And because he was broken for us, we can have Living water that brings eternal life flows from the brokenness of Christ, from the sacrifice of the cross. Pretty amazing, no? 
<coughs> that was at the rebellion. At the rebellion. At the beginning. But then they also used the word testing. That word for testing, parasamau, means testing to see what good or evil is in you. It means God showing you what's in your heart. One was rebellion against God, the other was God showing you what was in your heart. Rebellion against God, God showing you what's in your heart. The Bible lays out for us that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. In other words, if we would say, wow, Lord, what's wrong with me? What's in my heart? But it's funny, most people hear messages for other people. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say God is going to speak to you a message for another person. But a lot of places in the Bible it says the word speaks right to you. Divides the thoughts and the intent of your heart. Reveals what's in us. James says it's like looking in a mirror. We look in the mirror and we see dirty face. Turn around and don't clean it. What was the point of looking? What was the point of looking? God gave them a test to see whether good or evil was in them. Where did he do that at? Kadesh Barnea. He took the children of Israel to Kadesh. And they said, we don't want to just go in. We're going to send spies into the land. So they sent spies into the land. And the spies all come back with bad news, right? Oh, there's giants in the land. They're too big for us. Too hard for us. We can't handle it. We can't take care of it. They're too... Oh, man, is that hot? You're a beautiful man. It's even sweet? Dang, bro. I might just, yeah, for sure, yeah. I might just uh, sit here and drink for a while, man. feels good. Okay. (coughs) So, what was I talking about? Hot tea, it was so good. Oh, yeah. There's giants in the land. Kadesh Barnea. They go. They got bad news. All of them but two say what? We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. The first one in the rebellion, they don't trust God's provision. And the second one, the testing, they don't trust God's promise. What was God's promise? Everywhere you put the sole of your foot, I'll give you. As long as you go, I'll give it to you. They didn't believe his promise. They didn't believe his provision. We're thirsty. I'm thirsty. It's too hard. I'm thirsty. So God gave them water. I'm hungry. What did God give them? Bread. Every day. Every day. But what did they call that bread? Manna. Manna, which means, what's this? How about I say, you know, Kathy's gone. She's gone for a week. She's going to the pastor's wives retreat and (coughs) um, a weekend with her sister's. (laughs) <laughs> Which I'm really glad not to be at. <laughs> so, she's, she's got this stuff going on. What if I said, you know, Kathy's gone, so me and Joe are going to starve to death at home because all I know how to make is peanut butter and jelly. So you, you say, man, I'm really going to bless Jackie. So you, you make up this killer meal and you bring it over to my house and you hand it to me. And I look at it and I go, what's this? How do you feel about that? Do you realize that's what they said about that bread that fell from heaven every day? Do you realize that's what they said about the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ, when he came? 
I don't want a Messiah like this. That's how their view was. I don't, do you want a Messiah like this? Because sometimes, guys, it, it, it involves bad news, right? Just heard today a, a, a brother that uh, was fellowshipping here, he's now somewhere else, uh, has pancreatic cancer. Sometimes the news from God is you got pancreatic cancer. You know that don't go away unless God does a miracle. Period. Gosh, we know that better than anybody, right? Lost one pastor to it and one pastor's wife. Sometimes that's, do you sit back and go, I don't want a Messiah like this. It's too hard. We don't trust God's provision or his promises. Sometimes you get the raw deal, man. Sometimes that's just, I don't know the whys or the wherefores. Sometimes you just get the raw deal. In my life, when I was following God the best, my life was a mess. Most of my life was a joke. But when I'm finally doing my best with God, we lost a baby. His name was Josiah. We tried to have another. His name is Joe. Lord, you mean after all this stuff, I'm a, I'm a joke my whole life. I'm throwing away. I'm making every wrong choice I could possibly make. And everything's smooth. But now I'm walking with you. We lose a baby. And we have a baby with autism. It wasn't part of my plan. When I sat back and thought about Joe, I thought about Joe playing football. Wrecking dudes. The other boys did. No reason why he wouldn't. Taking a pretty girl to the dance. Graduating from high school. Figuring out a career, going to school, who knows? My plans weren't the same plans that you see today. My plans weren't to take care of them forever. To deal with all that stuff that most people think they know what it's like. But I'll help you out if you really want to know. <laughs> I'm always looking for babysitters, I tell you. There probably was a time during all that where I look at God and say, I don't want a God like this. I don't want all this stuff. And sometimes people will come to you and say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. You guys heard that before? That's a bunch of bunk. <laughs> Show me where that verse is. That is not what that verse says. God consistently give you more than you can handle. Why? Because he wants you holding on to him, not yourself. He's the way of escape. I cling to him. But that's what these guys, if things got too hard, life wasn't what they thought it was going to be. We're not that much different from them, guys. We're not that much different. <clears throat> and his word to us, man, don't harden your hearts. 
Don't harden your hearts. You remember what happened to Pharaoh, right? Don't harden your heart. How does it begin? It begins through unbelief. You see, the the scripture goes on to say, where your fathers tested me. Do you guys see that? Where your fathers tested me and tried me. That's God talking. Where you put me to the test. You know what the word is there? To try God to see whether there's good or evil in him. To see if he'll come out worthy. So look at, look at verse 10. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. Where is every unbeliever in a relationship with God? The book of Romans tells us they are children of wrath. Children of wrath. What does that mean? I'm under God's wrath. I have nothing to expect from God but his judgment. He says, therefore, I was angry with that generation. I was angry. Why was he angry? Well, first thing, there was indifference to his word. They didn't care about what his word said. Look what he says. They always go astray in their heart. They always go astray in their heart. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of how many? Oh, funny how that is, huh? The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We always go astray. Why do we go astray? Indifference to God's word. You know, it's just sometimes we don't like what it says. You ever think about that? I mean, for the most part, most of us look at it and go, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm good with it. Thou shalt not steal. I'm okay. Thou shalt not murder. That seems like a good one. Right? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> That's not really what that means. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, translators have been working on the Bible for like a thousand years, and they seem to come up with that word for a reason. I don't know. Didn't make them very popular, I can tell you that. There's indifference to God's word, and what does that lead to? Disobedience, which means what? I am going astray. I'm going astray. That's what he's laying out for him. Look, <clears throat> I was angry because they have indifference to my word. They ignore my ways. Look what he says. And they have not known my way. They have not known my way. Psalm 25, 4. There's some psalms you should probably write down. We just discovered in the beginning, right, that the Holy Spirit wrote them. So that's good, right, for you and me. Psalm 25, 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Pray that in the morning. Show me your way. Not, Lord, I got a way, bless it. That's not the same thing. Show me your way, O Lord. Teach me your path. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Jesus said, I am the 
Oh, what do you think he meant by that? They have not known my ways. Jesus said, I am the way. Teach me your ways and I will walk in your truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the Oh, wow. <coughs> think there's something to that? Jesus lays it out for us. Psalm 119.3 says, They also do no iniquity because they walk in His ways. Psalm 145.17 says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and gracious in all His works. You able to say that? It was hard to say when Kathy lost a baby. Lord's righteous in all his ways. I don't have a hard time anymore. It was hard when they diagnosed Joe with autism. The Lord's righteous in all his ways. I don't have a hard time anymore. Because this world is his pasture. And I am his sheep. I don't own any of it. He does. It's his world. It's his kids. And trust me. He loves him more than I can. He loves you more than you can even begin to imagine. He's righteous in all his ways. So he was angry, indifference to the word. They always go astray in their heart. (coughs) He was angry for them ignoring his ways. The Lord has a way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but where does it go? It leads to death. There's a way that's right to the Lord. It leads where? To life. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the... And what was the third one? Life. I'm the life. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. But the way of God leads to life. So what was the result of his anger? So I swore in my wrath... They shall not enter my rest. You feel like that sometimes? Like, ah, I just can't find no rest. A lot of turmoil. A lot of turmoil. Yeah, I think that's how it was for the children of Israel for 40 years. Every day was a walking funeral. Until six, 598,000, you guys do it. 42 a day? 42 people died a day for 40 years. It's a funeral march, right? (coughs) That's crazy. Until there were two. Funeral march. They did not enter into rest. So then in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, here's the past. Look what happened to them. Then he goes and looks at us. Look at verse 12. Beware, brethren. Who's he talking to? Oh, beware, brethren. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. (coughs) If... We hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden 
your heart. The reason for the warning is unbelief, right? There's unbelief. Lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief, right? Departing from the living God. Is that possible? You know, the Bible's full of scary verses. You know, more scary verses in Hebrews than any other book. <laughs> we ain't even got to the scary ones yet. But Matthew 7, 21 through 23, I think are scary verses. <clears throat> Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does my Father's will. That's Jesus talking. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay. Just don't comfort yourself. Just listen to what he said. You who practice lawlessness. Who ignore what the word of God says. Who don't care about God's way. And you make an excuse. You know, I don't have to do that. That's just everybody else. But just because God calls that a sin doesn't mean I can't live that way. Doesn't mean I can't walk that way. Doesn't mean I can't do those things that the word of God calls. Then you are the exact person God's talking to. Don't harden your heart. <coughs> we comfort ourselves and we say, well, God will forgive me. Are you sure? Because that verse says, Jesus said, I didn't know you. You spent so much time in that sin, you forgot about me all together. He didn't say, I knew you, and then I forgot you. What did he say? I never knew you. You know that when the people came to Jesus and they wanted to make him king, that the Bible says in the Gospels, Jesus didn't commit himself to them because he knew their heart. They didn't really want him. <coughs> they just wanted a full belly. They just wanted what he could give. And if he wasn't going to be the Messiah they wanted him to be, they just put him on a cross. Is he the Messiah you want him to be? Is he the God you want him to be? So where does it all start? How do we deal with it? How do we take care of it? <clears throat> the place where it starts, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Number one, what do we need to do? Protect your heart. Well, how do I protect my heart. Think about it. Oh, this whole chapter has been about, Jesus. in fact, the whole book, Jesus is greater than everything. Greater than the prophets. Greater than angels. Greater than Moses. So if you reject Jesus, that's ah, greater. Rejection. Than if you reject Moses. Jesus brings eternal life. How do I... <clears throat> protect my heart. How do I protect my heart? What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that we're supposed to put on whole armor of God, right? You remember all the parts? 
what goes over your heart? Breastplate of righteousness. Where do we get that from? Where does my righteousness come from? Jesus Christ. I got to be in Christ. I got to be in Christ. Remember we talked about how that happens. I got to homologeo. I got I to confess that Jesus is Lord. Curios is the same thing as saying God, by the way, in the Greek or for the Greek. Because you had to stand up once a year and take a pinch of incense and say, Kaiser Kyrios. If we said it today, it would be Caesar is God. But we get so used to saying Lord, that we think somehow Lord means something different than that. Kaiser Kyrios. The Christians died by the thousands, maybe millions, because they said, there's only one Lord, Jesus. Jesus is Lord. (coughs) We confess. We hold fast. We got to get into Christ. Because if I'm not in Christ, now I'm hanging out of my own righteousness. And if I'm not in Christ, Jesus will say to me, depart from me. I never knew you. I didn't know you. How do I get into Christ? I believe. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 say. I believe. I put my faith and trust in Him. That means I take it all. I take Him just like He is. Just with what He does and what He says. And I say, I'm okay with that. All your ways are righteous. So... We protect our heart. Second, we help each other. We help each other. What does he say? But exhort one another daily. How often are we supposed to exhort one another? (coughs) That's not hard, right? Pretty easy to understand. While it is called today. So when are we supposed to do it? Daily and right now is a good time. Right? Is it still called today? Still call today, lest any of you be hardened through what? The deceitfulness of sin. So what are we supposed to do? Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Come alongside when a brother or sister is making a bad decision, headed in the wrong direction, and say something. Because you love them. And you're supposed to watch out for them. Watch out for their souls. But what happens is, we don't encourage, we get negative, grumbling, quarrelsome, and then we isolate. And you know what happens when you isolate? Everybody agrees with you. Yeah, as soon as I'm the only one in the room, I'm always right. So I isolate, and then I just keep running over in my head. Yep, you're right. Nope. Yep, you're right. Yep. And I might even talk to other people, as long as they agree with me. If they don't agree with me, I don't talk to them no more. Yep, we're right. We're right. That's a perfect picture of the rebellion with the children of Israel. Yeah, if God was really God, we'd have water here all the time. If God was really God, this bread would change flavor every day at least. If God was really God, it wouldn't be like this. It wouldn't be this hard. It wouldn't be this hot. It wouldn't be this tough. There wouldn't be this much sand. 
What they should have been doing was encouraging one another and saying, oh man, that's, that's an evil heart of unbelief. Bitterness has crept in. You've got to repent, man. You've got to repent of that and turn to the Lord. You've got to turn to the Lord. Man, we got to exhort one another daily. Every day. <coughs> and what else? You've got to persevere. Hold fast. We've been talking about that for three messages. I get them all run together for me sometimes. But I think it was last Sunday, last Wednesday, and today. He says, hold fast, hold fast, hold on, hang in there, persevere, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. <coughs> Man, we're in Christ. As long as we're in Christ, as long as you hold on, as long as you're there, as long as you're in it. As long as you're, as long as you are surrendered in that ideal. The translations in our Bibles, they say, hold fast the confidence we had at first, or the beginning of our confidence, or our original confidence, or the trust with which we began. In other words, hold on to the way it started until it finishes. What happened to the children of Israel? They started killer. Woohoo! And they're doing amazing. How'd they end? Not so good. So what's he saying? Hey, good start, good finish. Hold on. Hold on. <coughs> we, want, we want to cling to Christ. Then this chapter, he ends with six questions. Three couplets. The first question is answered by the second question each time. As he brings the thought together, here's what he says. Hebrews 3.16, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? He says, who was it that rebelled? Answer, all those Moses led out of Egypt. What's the point? Everyone who died in the desert began in the glorious exodus where God was moving so powerfully and they all had hopes, dreams, and expectations. <clears throat> Question, second couplet, verse 17. Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Question, with whom was he angry? Answer, with those who sinned, who died in the desert. What's the point? The men who angered God for 40 years were those who did not believe he would provide. They left Egypt with a bunch of hope and a bunch of expectation. But the warning is, high hopes won't suffice. You need great faith. And the object of your faith is most important of all. What is the object of your faith? Is it the church? That's no, not big enough. The object of your faith needs to be Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. 
the object of our faith. We need great faith. Verse 18 and 19. To whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So, who did God swear wouldn't enter the rest? Those who were disobedient. Unbelief always leads to action. An evil heart of unbelief leads to disobedience. Disobedience leads to judgment. Disobedience leads to scary verses that say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me. These questions... Show us the journey of hardness of heart. It goes from hope to disbelief to disobedience. Started good, but didn't hang on to the end. And John tells us in 1 John 2, 15 maybe, (coughs) if they left from us, they were never of us. For if they had been of us, they would never have left from us. And we had need of endurance, holding on, clinging to God, holding to Him, allowing Him to carry us through. As we close out, I just want you to consider this. Have we experienced the spiritual exodus in Christ? He led you from bondage? Do we claim that Jesus is our true Passover who gave his life for us? Do we claim a baptism which is an antitype, just like the children of Israel crossing through the Red Sea? That we've our old life has been washed away and we've been set free to new? <clears throat> Do we claim to spiritually feed off of him by faith the same way Israel ate the manna in the wilderness? Do we look for a heavenly home like they looked for the promised land? If that's true, then we will persevere in faith and in obedience, holding on to the end. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware, all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized in the Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. (coughs) For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So these things have become our examples to the extent that we should not lust after evil things the way they lusted. He began this section of Hebrews chapter 3 with this statement. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.